Hey friends and first time listeners perhaps, um, it's Kevin here from the Tom Petty Project podcast. Today's episode is part two of the fantastic conversation that I had with John Scott um, last Monday. Um, in the first part of the interview, I really wanted to give John some space to, to really tell his story, uh, specifically about how he, he broke that first Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers record. Um, in the second half, what you're going to listen to now, we bounced around a little bit more and it was a lot more conversational, which I, I really enjoyed. We talked about John hitting the road with the band and cementing his relationship with Tom in the process. And then we got, got into the tactical bankruptcy of the band and how that led to John joining uh, Backstreet Records along with Tom and then the promotion of the Tour de Force, uh, Damn the Torpedoes. We also chatted about how fantastic the Tom Petty Nation Facebook group is and what a great community of fans that is, um, and Tom's genuine two-way relationship with those fans. But we mainly talked in this episode about what type of human being Tom Petty was, um, what a good friend he was to have, and it's one of those, you know, when 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 you do talk to one of Tom's friends, everything you hear about the man only makes you miss him that much more. So let's get into part two of my conversation with sizzling Memphis natural, John Scott. And all of a sudden, all I wanted to do was go on the road with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah. He invites me up to Santa Cruz, California, and to play in some armory or, I don't know, some small auditorium. Yep. But the fans knew who they were in Santa Cruz because they listened to K-San in San Francisco. And um, the place is packed. And yeah. he's just tearing it up. And I see he does six encores. <laughs> I've never seen that happen in my life. And the cloud is the crowd is still chanting, wanting more. And yeah. I go backstage. I go, Tom, these guys want more. He said, John, we don't know any more songs. <laughs> We've played them all. We've done everything. We've played we them all. <laughs> that's you know, it's kind of the second thing that said, "Oh my God, a band doing six encores. I've never seen it before in my life." Yeah. Well, and especially so- that that brand of rock and roll. It takes so much energy. You must have been absolutely just beat after doing that many oh well you know united is a musician when they play they put out a lot of energy and it's hard for them to come down yeah after the show yeah but anyway after that show that night all i wanted to do was get on a tour bus with tom petty yeah and there was no girls allowed on the tour bus it was all the guys sitting around we were talking about new music or yeah zombies or the kinks or whatever yep. Tom loved and um i just all I, and, and i'm still working as head of album promotion there's other albums out <laughs> but i'm just going and tom would say i want the next concert to be better than the last one yep. i want the next album to be better than the last one and he delivered on all fronts on that yeah um and i just kept watching every night going i'm, I'm watching history being yeah. made it's just one of those things where I, I just knew it. I could see it. I could feel it. I think that's interesting too. Do you, do you think, because it, it's a little bit no girls on the bus. Right. And, you know, there's no sort of, I don't think there was any hard drugs at that point. So that's atypical for a, a rock band that's getting in, getting some success in that in that day and age. Mm-hmm. Where you always feel then, I think that's maybe what's, what added to that longevity that him and the band had was that it was the music first. It always felt like, to me, the music, that's the most important thing. We need to be really good. And then everything else we'll worry about later, but get the music right first. So is that yeah. that's accurate? That's absolutely accurate. Okay. And, and when I go back and listen to the first album I, I did the other day, and I'm going, this is no, that was no debut album by a band. <laughs> yeah. I mean, American Girl Breakdown, Luna, 
and you go, you know, that's a band's oh, big album. It's huge, but, yeah. But better than most rock bands have ever done. Better than most rock bands' best album. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, yeah. it was just, you listen to it. If you were any had any kind of musical ear, you'd go, yeah. that's a hit record. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, um, I did get, uh, I, I, I was on the road with him for weeks watching yeah. every concert. I felt like I was watching history being made every night. Yeah. Because the crowd just kept reacting the same way as the, the night that they did six encores. Yeah. And uh, that was my life. I just said, I'm, I'm the Tom. Anybody at the office is kind of going, well, you might want to come back and work <laughs> a couple of other records. And I did. I, they called me back and wanted me to hear a record. You, you probably read it in the book. They called me back and said, yep. well, the president has a big record. He wants to play you. You got to get off the Tom Petty tour. And I was going, shit, damn. <laughs> I'm having a good time. And, and the guys in the band are just the coolest. Tom is the coolest. Ben Mont's the coolest. Ron yep. Blue is the nicest guy in the world. Stan Lynch, what a great drummer. What a great background singer he was. Ben Montage, you know, yep. killer. And just, but nice guys. Yeah. And so I went back to LA and they had, they, they had me in a room with the producer of the album that this guy, the president liked. And, um, the producer and the president are all sitting in my office waiting to hear my opinion of this record. Yeah. And uh, I heard this. They, well, they, they said beforehand, it's kind of jazzy and it's kind of long. And for me, that was like strike one, strike two. <laughs> but it's a rock band, you know. And I went, okay. And they didn't tell me yeah. that. I said, listen to it. I hear, Al call me Alabama. Uh, uh, call me the Deacon Blues. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, I I flipped it that second, and I looked at the guy. I said, "Can this be a single edited? And can I have for Crimson Tide?" Yeah, or, okay. I'll call Alabama the Crimson Tide. Call me Deacon Blues. Can you give me blue vinyl with an edit on one side and the long version on the other side? And they all went, "Okay." Yeah. And within six weeks, it was the most added record in America. And it's a killer record. That is that is a killer record, too. Asia is like, you know, you can go back and listen to it right now and go, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, it's a super That's, I mean, he, he had every great chess player. And, and it was incredibly produced. Yeah. As you go look back upon it. But anyway, yeah, glad I went back to see Tom Petty, hanging out with Tom Petty. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't get Tom Petty out of my, my car, my... <laughs> house my work that's all i was listening to yeah and i didn't care if i've heard it 20 times every time it would make him sound better yeah i started going on tour with tom petty and um it was going great stations were heading the record but there was a consultant who controlled 90 state fm stations at that yep. time His name is lee abrams or abrams burkhart and um i i i, I said i I told Charlie, I said, I've got to go to the top 10 stations in America who are Burkhardt Abrams consultant. And I got to get this record played. And I go to Dallas and um, I meet with the program director. And he said, just sit in the office and I, I'm, I'm I'll be out there in 10 minutes. And I said, okay, fine. And um, he wasn't playing Tom Petty. And I open up Bill Ward and I'm looking through it and I see the, you know, I see the page where it says 
number 40 on the charts. Yeah. And I'm just going, oh my God, that's great. So he comes back in and, but, but then circled on this Billboard magazine was, do not play this record. It's a John Scott hype. Yeah. And I just took the magazine, threw it across the, <laughs> threw it across the room. I was so pissed. Awesome. And he came in and said, John, it's our consultant. Uh, they, they won't let us play the record. They think it's a punk band. I'm going, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, at that minute, I said, I'm flying to Atlanta to meet these guys and tell and explain to them what's going on. Right. And I did. I met Lee Abrams and uh, I just flew to Atlanta, got in the car. And I said, I want to see Lee Abrams. And he was there and he met with me. He said, well, you know, I've kind of been watching what you guys are doing, but let me think about it. And this guy can drove 90 stations. Yep. And I had this, you know, kind of feeling like, well, maybe I have a chance. And next morning he said, um, do you think he would, Tom Petty would consider doing 10 or 15 concerts and we, what we call low dough concerts. Right. For example, if the station's one on three in the dial, the tickets would be a dollar three. It's a, clever, it's, it's a clever angle, isn't it? It's, it's a neat little, it's a neat little marketing trick to do that. Quite oh like yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. And some, some bands were doing that back then. Yeah. And um, for some reason, ABC Records said, "Okay, well, they had the feeling that something was going on, so they yeah. said we'll support this tour." And we played Memphis, for example, first concert for a dollar three, and all we wanted to do was have people go in this auditorium, yeah, see this band. And when they people walked out, they were freaking fans. Yeah. And you know, if you've ever seen Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, they're probably one of the greatest rock and roll bands in the world. They're right up there with Bruce and Stones and and Tom Petty was so proficient. I mean, yeah. I can't remember the last Stones record I heard, but I love them, but <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, and that's that's when I've had conversations with my friends about, and you know, why, why are you getting so into Tom Petty? I'm like, look, here's the deal. A lot of those artists, like the boss is great. I love Springsteen, sure. but I, you know, a lot of his later albums, they just, they lost a little bit of punch. I don't think that they're quite as good as that middle period or the early stuff. Well, he went to Nebraska. That's when he lost me in Nebraska. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, but Petty's level never, ever dropped. There's not one single album that he released that's below fantastic. There just isn't. Never. Not Never. one. The second word record had, you know, listen to her heart. Yeah. And it had the word cocaine in it. Yep. And the record company said, you got, you got to change it. And he's going, I'm not changing it. Champagne. Doesn't yeah. make sense. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> I changed it to champagne from cocaine. Yeah. And he said, well, it wasn't champagne. It was cocaine. And yeah. cocaine was a lot more expensive than champagne. <laughs> I'm not changing that lyric. But FM stations ate it up. Um, all of a sudden, everything just clicked. It was like this thing yeah. was like supposed to click, and it happened all by accident in a certain way. Yeah, I did want to ask you just while while we're in a bit of a lull. Sure. When you're touring with the band and you're the PR guy, and obviously, like you said, you're the, you're the album promotion guy for the record label. Your job with the band on the road is what? What do you actually? Are you there? What's what's your support? What's your actual job with the band on the tour? Well, I'm making sure that they go, if, if we can secure interviews in a certain town who are playing right. the record, that was the main object. Uh, that was my first job. Yeah. My other job was to make sure that all these radio guys came to, a, I would have a party before the show 
right. and snapped out tickets to all the, the DJs. And I didn't want them, I didn't want them to just give the tickets to somebody else. So I made them come to me to get the tickets. And we would have a bus. We'd bus right. everybody over to the concert. And of course, these guys heard Tom Petty and saw him and came back just like Charlie Kendall going, Oh my God. Yeah. This is this is something different. So then that job then as a PR guy, it's all contingent on you developing a really strong network of contacts with radio stations all over the country then, right? And That's maintaining cool. those relationships. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, okay. exactly. exactly. Okay. And, cool. um, and it was the greatest time in my life. Tom is yeah. such a cool guy. He's not an asshole. He is yeah. a cool guy. And all of a sudden he has no idea if he's going to make it, break it. He was, he was you know, he was doing well in, in, in England, but what would have happened if I hadn't picked up that record? <clears throat> and yeah. the answer is nobody knows. Yeah. I mean, probably he would have got signed by another label. I can't doubt that. But Clive Davis from Columbia Records turned him down. Yeah. Well, I think, so I was thinking about that too. Like, I th it was so good that eventually it would have broken through at some point somewhere, right? No, no question, because that level of talent, you can't keep that down. That's just well, no course, way. Tom could have said, screw this whole thing. Mud Grudge failed. Yeah. Tom Penny Heartbreakers first album failed. I'm going back to Gainesville. Yeah. I'm going to be a guitar teacher. Yeah, could have done, yeah. You know, I think in my heart, of course, I think another label would sign them. But when I saw that Clive Davis took Dwight Twilley over Tom Petty, <laughs> I thought, well, would he have been signed by another label? Yeah. Probably, but I don't know. And also, but like what I, the point I was going to make, though, was that even if he had been signed by another label, that first record might have just vanished. And given, you know, if, if it was sort of a, well, that record didn't do well, so maybe we just have to write different songs, maybe it would have changed the whole course of where that band went creatively, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so, again, I mean, thank God you got that record played because we couldn't live without Breakdown and American Girl and Luna and Fooled. You know, we, those records have to be there, right? Oh, my God. I mean, hearing the first album, you hear Luna, or you oh. hear American Girl, the headphones, and vocals are going this way, and guitars are going this way. And it, it was excellently produced. It was, yep. it was a fantastic first album. A great record, yeah. I band. But um, there was this thing that felt like this whole thing was supposed to happen. I can't mm -hmm. explain it. It was the reason why I knew Mud Crutch. Yeah. And it was a serendipity moment. And I have a lot of serendipity moments in my life. Yeah. It was one of those things that just felt like it was supposed to happen this way. And even the bad things then, right, too, because I know that obviously you talk about when ABC was bought out. Right. by MCA that and obviously Tom's not having any of that Tom's not working with MCA well, I'm not having you know, either they either, just so. fired me they yes. fired me for Johnny Johnny Cougar and I'm going I don't want to go to MCA and he goes well they screwed up mud crutch I don't want to go to MCA how did that work then because they, it was Backstreet right was the was the record company that it was, it was going to be MCA and MCA, right. Tom had a terrible deal at Shelter and MCA wanted him lock stock and barrel like a piece of meat yep and he finally realized he had signed away his publishing to Shelter. And MCA was going to take it yeah. and take all of his publishing. They, 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 they filed for bankruptcy, which, yeah. which stopped the whole thing. Yeah. Actually, kind of funny, I mean, as a side thing here, my, uh, when, when MCA was kind of coming in and buying ABC, all my, my friends at ABC were going, John, you need to go ask 
Tom and the manager for a point on the next record. If you, know, you know, I know you know what a point is. Yeah. You can explain it. There's 17 points. Producer gets some, the band, the band yeah. gets some. I just, as they would tell me, just ask for one point. <laughs> so I did. I go to Tom and I said, don't you think I deserve it? He said, well, yeah, you deserve it. Just call Tony. <laughs> so I went to see Tony. I said, Tony, you know, you know what's happened here. There's a band about to be dropped. I think I think I deserve a point on the next record. And he said, yeah. John, I'd love you do. You do deserve a point, but there's not going to be another record. And that's when he said that we're filing for bankruptcy. Yeah. So the next two years, they go out and just tour and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're fighting MCA at the time. Yeah. And that's when, well, Cameron Crowe, the producer Cameron Crowe was friends yes. with a kid named Danny, Danny Bramson at MCA. And Danny was the head of Universal Studios. Um, he was the guy who ran Universal Studios, booked the acts. Right. He was doing a great job, and he became kind of the golden boy at MCA. And Warner Brothers actually offered Danny a label, and MCA heard about it, and they said, you know, screw that. We're going to give you what you want. He said, I want my own record label named Backstreet Records, which is named after Bruce Springsteen. Yep. My life had taken a turn at the, after, after I said, well, I don't want to go to MCA. <laughs> and... Um, a guy walked to my office and said, my name is Spencer Proffer, and I've watched what you've been doing with Tom Petty. I said, well, who are you? And he said, well, I'm married to Trudy Green, the manager of Stephen Bishop, who had a song called On and On. Yeah. It was a hit record. And he said, I'd like for you to come and listen to a band I just produced, or an artist I just produced. And he said, it's a space opera. <laughs> and uh, at this point, I'm kind of going, well, I don't want to go to work for MCA. <laughs> right still there and so i go hear this rock opera and uh he sits me he turns all the lights out from the studio and you can see the you know the little lights from the from the, from the uh, board the console yeah yeah and uh i was in the right frame of mind so I, you know I, I got to the point okay i admit that and um he played me billy thorpe children of the sun right and I freaked out. I totally freaked out. It was so good. He said, this is Australia's number one singer. Yeah. And um, I went to ABC the next morning. I said, you guys have got to listen to this guy, Billy Thorpe. He's got an amazing album. And they went, we're not signing any new bands. And I was kind of like, wait a minute. I just went through Tom Petty. I just yeah. went through Steely Dan. I were Jimmy Buffett. Cheeseburgers in Paradise, and I'm on a roll, <laughs> and they're telling me they don't even want to listen to the record. Yeah. But little did I know that MC was in the process of buying ABC. So my friend was a guy named Phil Rush, and he worked for Capricorn Records. And he, he lived in Memphis, but he had been transferred to Los Angeles. I said, Phil, would you come over and just listen to this Billy Thorpe record? What's your opinion? And um, he came over, same thing. He said, sat in the captain's seat in the control room yeah, and freaked out like I did, this Billy Thorpe <laughs> Children of the Sun. And so he said, do you mind if I have a copy? And the producer said, no. And he said, I want to send it to Phil Walden, president of Capricorn Records. And Capricorn Records is a Southern-based band, you know, Marshall Tucker, the Allman Brothers. Right. Not even in the back of my mind did I think that 
Capricorn Records was signed. <laughs> so uh, Phil sent the record to uh, Phil Walden, the president of Capricorn. They were in New York, and I think he sent it overnight. And so they got on the, the Capricorn jet that night. So the next day, I get a call going, we want you to go to work for Capricorn Records. Um, and we've just signed Billy Thorpe to Capricorn. <laughs> right. <laughs> going, yeah. <laughs> Will you come to Georgia then two days from now? And I'm just kind of sitting there going, okay, yes, yeah, sure. I love Billy Thorpe. <laughs> Nicest guy in the world. All of a sudden, they said, we're going to have a jet for you waiting at the Van Nuys Airport in Los Angeles, and we're going to fly you to Macon, Georgia, and, and you're going to sign with us as VP of Special Projects or something. And all of a sudden, I'm at the airport, and I'm flying to Macon, Georgia, and they signed Billy Thorpe over the phone. Right. And so I went to work for Capricorn Records. We broke Billy Thorpe's Children of the Sun record. And um, everything's doing great. Here I am, another label. Uh, Billy Thorpe is on the radio, Children of the Sun. It's a space opera, something like nobody's ever heard before. Yeah. And then I'm working for, we, we break Billy Thorpe. And all of a sudden, Capricorn filed for bankruptcy. Right. And all of a sudden, I don't have a job again. And he still owes me $6,000, but he's passed away. So oh, geez. <laughs> they folded, and I didn't have a job again. But about two days later, I get a call from Tom's manager going, we've just signed a deal with Backstreet Records, a kid yeah. named Danny Branson. He's got his own label. We're going to be on Backstreet Records, and you're part of the contract. Will you go to work for Backstreet Records? And I went, hell yes, I don't have a job. Yeah. And then I go meet Danny, and he's he's one of these kids that, you know, he heard Tom Petty like I did and flipped out. Yeah. And he signed Tom Petty, and I think Tom owed the record, I think they owed MCA Records about $3 million or something. Holy, what? Yeah. And Danny got that all wiped out. Wow. Made a deal with Tom to start new. And all of a sudden they're going, you have a job at Backstreet Records. And I'm going, okay, I'm going back to MCA Records, but they'll probably fire me because they did six months before. Anyway, yeah. all of a sudden we listened to um, Damn the Torpedoes. Cameron Crowe, myself, Danny Bramson, uh, a few other people, and we just freaking knew. Yeah. We knew that was the breakthrough album. Because he had been produced by Jimmy Iovine. Yeah. We made himself, you know, mainly Bruce Springsteen. But in that album, there were people, when it came out, people, their from stations were playing five tracks off that album. That's just insane. Which that is doesn't... insane. Yeah, we we flipped out when we were down the torpedoes, and we knew yeah. we had to do everything in the world to make that record, Tom's career record, the breakthrough yeah. record, and it was. Yeah. And then Tom and I, we we became really good close friends, and you know, one thing that I loved about Tom is we would go to his house, and he played records like the Zombies or the Kinks, and I yeah. I'd play new records, and and we yeah, just yeah yeah. Oh, sitting at his turntable. <clears throat> and um, I remember I was working for another, I'd gotten a, after Backstreet, 
they didn't need me and a company hired me because they had been watching what I had been doing. Yeah. With Tom and Steely Dan. And they offered me more money than I could possibly think of to go to work for them. And I yeah. told Tom I, I got to leave. And he said, you know, I said, I'm here for you, Tom, anytime you want. And he was a little, you know, he was a little depressed about that. But he said, yeah. you know, I, I know what you got to do. Damn the Torpedoes was his breakthrough album. Yeah. And um, there were several hit records off that album. And all of a sudden, Tom Petty was a superstar. Absolute superstar. And he started going out and playing gigs. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And people were just being honest. This band's one of the most amazing bands I've ever seen live. And Tom writes songs that me and you can relate to. Of course. I mean, and I think that's sometimes with people who don't know much about the band or much about the, you know, the Heartbreaks or Mudcrutch or any of the background is they think it's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. They think that he, I've heard people say, oh, that's his backing band. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, they're a band. They're, they're a band. And they're seriously talented musicians. Like I said, you keep talking about Mike Campbell. And I've said this to anyone who listened. You know, on, you were talking about Full Moon Fever. And you said, I've never heard Mike Campbell play a bad note in my life. That's exactly right. No. And I totally agree. He's, he's one of the top 10 rock guitarists of all time. Easily. Hands down. I don't care what anyone says. He's not a shredder. He's not a, you know, he doesn't do all that virtual stuff. But he plays exactly what every song needs. Exactly right. Exactly. exactly. You've got Amazing. it so right. I mean, it's just like uh, sometimes Mike would write the music. I mean, yeah. uh, he would write music and take yeah. it over to Tom's. Yeah. And Tom would put lyrics to it. But for a while, they collaborated, of course. But um, yeah, he hit every note, and there's little notes thrown in. Oh, I think Rolling okay. Stone has him number 75 on the top guitarist. I just, I just have to laugh. I'm going, it is, it's a joke. I mean, but Mike doesn't care. He did. He does not care. He's the kind of guy. He's a Southern guy, just like everybody else. Tom. Yeah, and, and and he's like, I don't care what place I'm in. I know well, what I did. Yeah, and he doesn't need Rolling Stone to tell him he's good because he's played yeah. with Dylan. He's played with the Heartbreakers. That's he's right. played. He's backed up the you know um, Roger McGrin from the from the Birds. He's, you don't get to do. Or he's played with Johnny Cash. He's played with John Prine. You don't get to do that if you're no good. You no. don't get asked to play no. with those guys if you know. No, no, good. no, no, no. You're right. You're totally right. <laughs> I can't tell you. The, the his fans are. Over the top. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of bands and I've seen a lot of fans. I've never seen anything like a Tom Petty fan. When Keith Evelyn yeah. on, on the Tom Petty Nation, like when I joined that group, that right. Facebook group, it was like, oh, these are my people. Yeah. These these people love Tom Petty as much as I do. And this is, and, it, and it's just constant. The number of posts per day on, the, on that group and the, just oh, the love and the sort of, it's fantastic. It's such a great place to hang out. You get stuck for hours on there sometimes. Oh, yeah yeah you see pictures that you've never seen before yep. and i'll throw something up there and yep and, um, but these i think tom petty nation had sixteen thousand fans when he passed away and went to thirty-five thousand, yep. like next day yeah and it's 40 45 i think now or something it's, it's like just that. crazy yeah but uh, tom petty see him in concert and you never forget it you know and i never did it's one of the greatest regrets because I only really got sort of I when it, when I said when the penny really finally dropped for me was about 2016 right. when I when I heard Wildflowers oh yeah and that was the album it was just like oh no no this guy's not just rock and roll he's not just this guy can do anything he can this guy can write any song because that's that album is well, it's probably one of the top five albums of all time for my money that's it's just absolutely, there's, absolutely. it's incomparable Absolutely. And if you don't hear that, something's wrong with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that was that was the divorce album. 
Yes. Yep. Well, some people think Echo was the divorce album. Wildflowers was his divorce album. Yep. And he had gone some, you know, his, you know, it's tough being a rock star and being married. And, yep. and Tom is like, he's in the studio every day, just picking a note, picking a lick out. Yep. Trying to find the right words to it. And he said, I've heard him say before, you know, the muse comes yep. to you. Yeah. More the muse. It's kind of impolite. <laughs> but the muse would drop a song in his hands. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm sure you know what a muse is. I mean, of course, of course. I was in, I did a, a, a separate podcast I did with a friend of mine last year. And we talked to a, an artist out of Alberta, Canada um, named Randy Baylor, a band called Punch Drunk Cabaret. Okay. Um, and he, he explained it. He said, you know, people ask anyone who writes songs, well, where do you get ideas from? He says, you know, Basically, songwriters, they've got an antenna up into the sky and sometimes that lightning strikes and all you're doing then is channeling it. It's not really anything to do with you almost. You're just trying to write down what you're getting, you know? Exactly. That's that's Tom Petty to the max. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened with him. And, and um, you know, I, I often find it interesting that here, Mike Campbell comes and brings you instrumental music. Yeah. And... Tom Petty sits there and listens to it and puts these lyrics to it that just <laughs> were supposed to be there. Yeah. yeah. You know? I think the best, example of, the best example of that to me is All or Nothing. And I remember li listening to when, when Campbell says, like Mike says, he, he goes to me, he brings this, it's a great lick. And that slide guitar is just so badass. Oh but then we, get the, then we get these lyrics, you know, Sweet Chariot of L.A. Swing Low. At twilight time smog i mean who writes that who writes like that? no one writes like that nobody <laughs> nobody and Just i think times of music will live beyond our generation there's no doubt in my mind he's multi-generational yeah and um like i've said i've never seen fans as loyal to an artist as his yeah yeah and, well, and, and and him to his fans too though right that was a two-way thing he was very loyal to his fans as well i mean look very. at the way he stood up for the fans on you know the um, um, hard promises no you're not releasing this at rock at superstar pricing it goes out or we're calling it 8.98 that's that's a done deal you're not ripping off my fans and he never overcharged for his concert tickets you know that's that's just to me that i think again that authenticity people know that he's actually that's the real deal He's not, oh, you know, Philadelphia, the greatest rock show we've ever played. It's just bullshit, and people feed off that, but he never did that, right? He was just honest with people. Oh, and that's, why, that's why we love him. I never saw a bad Tom Petty concert in my life, yeah. ever. And I've seen hundreds. How many, hundreds. You, how, many, how many would you guess that you've seen, do you think? 150? I don't know. Wow. Yeah, I, said, I, I used to go out with him and see as many concerts yeah. as I could make my boss realize i'm out <laughs> but because i was seeing history every night like i said i saw history yeah. it's hard to describe i don't know what, what, what yeah. happened with us uh, you know one of the other things i forgot to tell you about tom we'd go over and listen to records he'd play some and we'd play some yep and when i hear a record i like i would run to tom's house and play it for him yeah and ex for an example he i uh, took him um Tommy Two Tones, 8675309. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I took it to him and he went, um, I'm calling my manager. I want Tommy Two Tone on my next tour. Nobody knew who Tommy Two Tone was. Oh, man, is that ever cool? Same thing with the Georgia Satellites. I took him, pretty little thing, let me light your candle because, Mama, I'm too hard to handle. Yes, I am. Right. And he just calls his manager and says, I love this record. 
I want him on the floor. <laughs> and that's the kind of guy he was. It was just like, yeah. you know, if he believed in something, man, he was yeah. all over it. Well, it's so generous to you. I mean, you talk in, in, in the book a little bit about he was very active in sort of, you know, social issues and with charity and those types of things, but not one of those artists who really shouted about that. He just no. did it. No, he, he just, just went and did it. it. Yeah. He, he, um, he helped me with a project. It was a, uh, a company near where I lived in San Fernando Valley, not too far from him, that were decladding fuel rods. And they right. wanted to take the uranium out of the fuel rods, pack it together, put it on a truck, and take it through the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. And we found out about that, and we protested. And I was named an intervener in the case. Okay. And um, there was three people who were interveners. And, I, and so he came out, him and Jane came out to protest. And we won. We beat, we beat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's... And, that's and good for you. Yeah. Good man, for you guys. You know, you know, he believed in something. Yeah. He followed through with it every time. And... Was he, was he this... Was he basically... I mean, Because I, I had that sense too where... You get a lot of people, this sort of the, the trappings of stardom does tend to change people. And of course it's going to change your lifestyle because you've got more money. So you can do you can do different things. And what you can do is you can have all your friends over parties are very regularly. But right. it, I, I get that sense that he, he never really changed who he was at his core. He never sort of never compromised on artistic vision, never compromised on his relationships with his friends. Never. It's quite rare, isn't it? Is it not in that sort of world? Is that very, very rare? I mean. We would go to his house at Christmas for, and it wasn't a big yeah. crowd. It was the, the road crew and <clears throat> myself, my family, and and Tom and Jane would pick out gifts, yeah, individually for each person. Not it's like oh, everybody gets the same thing. And he knew yeah. I was on the radios, and um, um, he gave me a oh, four fifties. I got a bunch of radios over here. You probably can't see them, but um, yeah. You can't see him. You already got your background on, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I collect radio, old radio. And, yeah. um, um, but you go over to his house, and it was just fun. We played yeah. baseball every year at Easter, softball. Yeah. And he was always the pitcher. Yeah. Was he good? Oh, yeah. He, well, he was just underhanded. And okay. <laughs> he didn't want to run. Tom just didn't want to run. Didn't want to run. He was a pitcher for both sides, but... <laughs> Oh, man, he's not funny. You'd go for Christmas, and all of a sudden, he's jamming with George Harrison and yeah. Jeff Roger McGuinn, and and you just think about this whole thing, going, "Oh my God!" But that, I think that's the thing with real musicians. It again, like I go back to, it's about the music. George Harrison's the same. Jeff Lynne's the same. Roger McGuinn, they're all the same. They just want to jam. They just the, the thing that they love doing is playing. Right. Oh yeah. So, so an audience of fifteen thousand, or an audience of twenty people in their house, the same thing. They're just playing. They're just enjoying same themselves. Exact thing. You're so right. That's a, yeah. a brilliant observation. And um, sometimes Ben Mom would play the guitar. Yeah. There's that photo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A great photo of Ben playing. Yeah. Guitar. I've never seen him play guitar in my life. <laughs> but um, you know, those were days that I just can't even describe how how what a guy he was. I mean, I mean, he's got older. And more and bigger, he started getting a little crankier. I will say that. Right. Uh, you know. Well, we got it, but we got a great cranky album, the last DJ. 
where he really again just went back and stuck it to the record industry again, you know, and <laughs> yeah. said, I'm not that song, Joe. I'm Joe, I'm the CEO. It's just like that's that's the biggest F you in rock music. That's super. Yeah, yeah. This guy who's doing that on a major label. That's just incredible. <laughs> who has the balls to do that, you know? <laughs> he was that kind of guy. If he believed that, yeah. you know, well, we often talked about that time that, you know, radio is all of a sudden becoming different to being yeah. uh, the, the consultants telling you what to play. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons the last DJ came out. Okay. So that was kind of what spurred that partially. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he cared about people. He cared about his yeah. friends. He, didn't, he never forgot. I mean, a lot of artists forget on the way up. Yeah. And Tom never did. He never forgot um, what you did. Yeah. And, you know, proof of that for me is, I mean, he's dedicated quite a few songs to me at different times. He knew I was in the yeah. audience. But the last show at the Hollywood Bowl for oh, 18,000 people, <clears throat> I didn't go backstage before the show. I did an interview on Sirius XM. Yeah. And um, Mark Felsot said, you know, if it hadn't been for you, we might not be sitting here right now listening to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Absolutely true, yeah. And, you know, I look back and possibly that's true. And I go out, to, my daughter's with me and we didn't go yeah. back to because we knew there'd be a lot of people there. I, I have yeah. three concerts. I only wanted to go to one, the last one, because there were rumors that he wasn't going to tour. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a Wildflowers tour, maybe next year. But I went to the last one and he played four songs and really didn't talk to the audience. And I'm sitting out there with my daughter and the fifth song he plays, he says, I want to dedicate the song to John Scott. Yeah. I was in 1977. He went to the radio stations with the Vengeance and got our record played on the radio. And we're going to dedicate this song to him tonight. We'll never forget him. Yeah. But I won't back down, which is what basically I didn't do. I didn't back down. Exactly. And, and, and that's the thing when you understand that, like he didn't have to do that. No. And you, and, 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 and you also, you wouldn't have thought any less of him if he hadn't. You know what I mean? But that's just, that's just genuine character. That's, well, just, yeah. that's a strong person with, uh, with good, good morals and, and a good heart, right? Exactly, absolutely. And I found out later at the memorial, um, Dana Petty pulled me over. And yeah. she said, John, I just want to explain a couple of things to you. We got into the limousine to go to Hollywood Bowl. And of course, the driver has it on Tom Petty Radio XM Series 31. Yeah. And... <laughs> And he gets in the, he said, we got in the car and, and they said, Tom said, uh, we were talking, Tom said, did they just say they were going to interview John Scott? And she said, yeah. He said, well, don't say anything. I want to hear this whole interview. Yeah. And she said, John, after that interview, and you told the truth, he looked at me and said, everything John Scott just said is the absolute truth about how this happened. Yeah. And I'm sitting there with my daughter and he dedicates a song to me. <laughs> I'm in tears. Oh, I, well, of course, of course. <laughs> I'm in tears for 18,000 people. I didn't know what was happening. Yeah. But um, then, you know, a week later he was gone. Yeah. I, when I, and I, so I was going to say like, sharing that moment too with your daughter must have been very oh, special. It was you know. so special because she was a part of the family of yep. going over to the Petty's house and playing with Adrian when she was young. Yeah. And Kim and um, 
uh, it was just both. We were we were both just crying. I mean, it was yeah. moments that I can't even describe. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, so my and again, I'll throw it back. But my youngest girl, so my, my she's into the records, and she's fourteen now. Um, I have a very good friend in in Saskatoon where I live, who's in a big rock. Well, not a big rock. It's in a rock band. Phenomenal artist. One of those guys who, if he'd had you pushing him, he would be a superstar. <laughs> now. I'm absolutely serious. He would be a superstar now because he's that good. Anyways, so my daughter really likes them. They're a hard rock, like a pretty like an audio slave, sort of you know, pretty hard hard edge rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And so they've got this song um that they play it's called stolen and it's my daughter's favorite song on this record mm-hmm. and so they've, they've got this gig opening up for a band that used to be pretty big in the 90s and they're going to play the they're the only night they're going to play half an hour so mm-hmm. and it's all ages so finally because they only play bars finally my daughter can go see him live so I say, okay we'll go out there and we get down and we get front row and same thing as when you went to the whiskey there's no one there you know there's only like 20 right. people exactly. they're there for the main act you know so which is great because we can go and listen and so they play their set and they just blow the roof off and the yeah. last song they play is stolen and Chris gets on the mic, my friend, and says, I want to dedicate this to Emma, who's a big supporter of ours, and she's standing on the front wall watching us. And so, same thing. So she gets this thing where her favorite song by one of her favorite bands has just been dedicated to her by the singer. You know, and, and so I understand that sort of, what that would feel. Now, of course, that's not Tom Petty doing it in front of 18,000 people at the ball, well, but it's the same kind of feeling, right? Where, same you know, feel, exactly. Of just mean, that connection with your friend. That's my friend up there, and he's still taking time out to just say something nice to someone. I think that's just that's just class to me. That's just Tom absolute did, class. Tom did a lot of things for me. He, uh, my house flooded in 1980, and yeah, we, the insurance company said, "Oh, this is an act of God," and they wouldn't pay for anything. Yeah, we were sleeping on army cots, my wife and my daughter. Yeah, and Tom heard about it. And he said, "You're you're coming to my house and living with me." Yeah, we stayed there for 30 days and. It was insane how. It, and again, he could have put you in a hotel. Oh, easily, yeah. right? Yeah. He could have easily paid for you to put in here, but no, come yeah. stay with us, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's just quality. And then making... one more time, and um, several times, but I moved to Hawaii on the island of Kauai in yeah. 1991, and we built, the, my wife and I built the house over there. We wanted to get out of LA, yeah. and uh, we loved Hawaii, especially the island of Kauai. And we, we built the house, and three months later, on September 10th, there was a hurricane going across the top of the islands. Yeah. And everybody's going, oh, it's going to just brush everybody. And all of a sudden, it took a right turn and headed right over the island of Kauai. Oh, my God. And we had, we got lucky and got a room at a hotel. Yeah. And uh, it was 215 mile an hour sustained winds. And I get home. Well, we stayed in the hotel for five days. And I, I, th- I called the night before and said, I, I'd like to book a room at the Princeville Hotel in Kauai. And they said, oh, so all we have is oceanfronts, $400. And I was going, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> and, and, and the next morning I get there, and, and there's a line a mile long, and they're going, well, we don't have yeah. any rooms. And anyway, uh, the, roof, the hurricane took my roof off my house. Nobody in Princeville or Kauai is a small, small island. And on this town we lived in, in Princeville, Kauai, right. um, there's one hardwood store. They must have had 10 generators. There's 100 people in line trying to get a generator. Yep. And we were told it was going to be six to eight weeks before we would get power. Oh, my God. And a few days later, when we were cooking everything we had in the freezer. and Yeah. You no. Know, and uh, I, I get a message at Tom Petty's 
had sent me a generator. And I had to go to FedEx, FedEx and pick it up because FedEx was not delivering. Yeah. And uh, I have a generator. I'm the only person in the neighborhood who has a generator. <laughs> and that's Tom. That's yeah. Tom and Jane. They, they, they were there. And that's just another reason why he was such a great man. Yeah, for sure. And again, I mean, you know, like you said, the, the, the week after that last concert and suddenly the unimaginable happens. And for us, you know, for the rest of us fans, it's awful because we've lost Tom Petty. But, you know, you and, and the band and, and Dana and his, and his kids, they've lost, you know, that's their friend and their dad. And their, I can't even imagine how you get through that. And I know you said like on, I think it was on Facebook that on, on the second or something where it's still, it still doesn't, no. it doesn't seem real, right? That he's not, no, it how, could, how could it be that Tom Petty isn't here? You know, it doesn't feel real because um, a lot of people I found out like myself, I have dreams from time to time, maybe once or twice a month, I'll have a dream about Tom Petty. Yeah. After he passed away, a dream, he came to me and said, John, write a book called Tom Petty and me. Yeah, I started writing the next day. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it's just one of those things. It just all came to me. It's like I, yeah. I kept no notes. It was just all from memory, and the memories are just yeah, history. yeah, yeah. History. You clearly have a pretty good memory for that kind of stuff, though, too, because you you, you recall <laughs> you can recall certain dates and, and people's names. You seem to have a really good recall for those kinds of things. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure why, because uh, there were a few things that were happening <laughs> during those <laughs> And you know well, what again, I'm talking about. A chemically enhanced state, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> but there's some great stories in my book that nobody's ever heard. And I think yeah. I wanted the fans to know how a band got from here to there. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Coldplay, they're a big record, you know, big yeah. whatever it used to be, or maybe they still are. But it, it it's just not goes here and then here without yep. something happening or a reason why. Well, and that's why in my intro, I use the expression rock and roll royalty very sincerely because the PR guys, A&R, roadies, managers, all these people make the machinery work so that those guys can get up on stage or they can get a record out and they can and they can connect with us. But it takes all that other stuff as well. Right. And, and, and I don't know, obviously, you're not sort of in that actively involved in the business anymore. But you think about now, nowadays, a kid with a guitar like Tom Petty, he, well, he has to do all his own. Well, he probably has to do his own website. He probably yeah. has to do all his own marketing. He probably has to learn about all of those things. So that's all taking time away from what he should be doing is writing music. Exactly. Right? So, so thank God Tom had people like you and, and, and Jimmy Iovine and Mike and all these guys around him to, to be that support and to be able to sort of help push the whole thing forward, right? Yeah, there's a book out there called The Outliers. Okay. And somebody sent it to me and it's about things that were supposed to happen. Right. And I'm and Tom and I are in that book about you know the coincidences that led to yeah our meeting. But Jim, I, I, like again, I'll go back to what I was saying before, and we use that word serendipity a lot. And obviously, there's there's coincidence and there's luck and all those kinds of elements. But you should realize at some point, dude, that you just you seem to be a kind of person who, when you decide to do something, you do it and you do it hard, and I you do. don't stop until you get to where you want to be. You yep. you. you got Johnny you know you, you recognize Mellencamp you broke Tom Petty you've written a freaking book and you're not and like you said you're not an author right but 
I was going to just say you've ever done. Well, and just to comment on the book, really, honestly, I, I love what I love about it. And I read a lot and I've read lots and lots of different rock and roll memoirs. I know mm-hmm. Paul McCartney's, um, oh, what was that called? Fantastic uh, biography about him was, was excellent. But what I love about your book, more so than, and I, I love Warren Zane's book and I write like Paul Zolo's book, but it's the conversational style in your book. It feels like this. It feels like we're just sitting in a, a little pub somewhere, yeah. having a few pints, and you tell me about all these adventures you had with Tom Petty. And it's, it's, your voice is 100% authentic and it comes through. It's, it's you. This is not ghost written. It sounds like you. I can hear, I could hear you, you, you now. And it's exactly the same as what it is in my head. And the other thing that I really liked was I'm sure there's a ton of stuff you could have been in there that would have been very salacious and people being up to all kinds of things and all that kind of stuff that a lot of rock and roll's tales are. But again, I'm a process geek. I like learning about all this stuff that you were doing in the industry, all this PR stuff that I didn't know existed. I didn't know that that was what was going on back then, learning about the record companies and focusing on the music, focusing on that's the stuff that I'm interested in. I don't care who was shagging who and who was doing what blow off what. You know what I mean? I don't care about any of this. It's boring. You've heard it all before, right? Tell me about the interesting stuff, you know? So, so yeah, I think um, I was going to... Thank you. Yeah, so no, I, and I, I, I genuinely, that's that's not me just blowing smoke up your ass. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of yours as much as I'm Tom Petty because I recognize through what you've written and everything you've, you've said in any interviews that I've listened to is that you're a 100% genuine guy. Um, and I wish that I wish that everyone would buy this book. I hope that everyone buys this book. I mean, I've got two more coming and they're going to go out to different people um, just to get people reading it because people, even if you're not a huge Tom Petty fan, I think people, if you like music, and you're into sort of the 70s scene and, and into just sort of those kinds of things. Anybody can read this book. Like I said, kids can read this book. It's approachable. Well, it's fun. There is a lot of drug. Well, no, but I mean, that's well, only marijuana. Okay. We spoke pot. It's legal now in most places. Yeah. And it's, it's legal in Canada. And it's, and it's, to me, it's, it's just a recreational drug. People don't have the same hangs up in alcohol. No. Alcohol, alcohol wrecks far more lives than frigging marijuana ever did. I really never saw Tom drink a lot either. I mean, he did nope. every once in a while, but yeah. no, we, we would just sit around the house and and uh, get yeah. to the point. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. that's the great thing about hanging with Tom. He was such a, such a he's a, he's a student of music. He was a yeah. student of Little Richard. He was a student yes. of the Zombies. He was a, a student of Solomon Burke. And he loved the music. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have one question. I'm going to one question, boy. Two questions, actually, quickly, and then we'll do a bit of wrap up. But and then I'll want to give you a chance to tell people where you're going to be in the immediate future and the deal about the two for one on the website. Yeah. But there's two things that stood out um, for me, and the two other things that stood out in the book. So this promote, 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 and it's that. <laughs> it's in the, so is that is that a mantra? Like, is that something you picked up from someone else, or was that just something that you no. came up with to just okay? No, I used to tell Tom, and then sometimes he would go, "We got to do this radio interview," and I go, "Tom." promote 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 <laughs> this kind of thing i used to tell him all the time yeah. and um i think one of the faxes i mean the faxes are another story in my book i mean absolutely yeah. i can't even describe the faxes people would just have to buy my book to understand how sure. tom petty and we were faxing each other I, mean, I can't even imagine tom petty standing in a fax machine <laughs> it's, it's absolutely hilarious it absolutely it cracked me up the whole bit with roger mcginn comes over and he gets you to fax him so that roger mcginn from the birds can see what a fax looks like it's just it's so funny it's so funny we were the only two people we knew who had a fax and so we were just at the beginning we were just faxing each other you know yeah he i would tell him what trade how the wheelberries were doing and yeah and then i get this fax from him going 
John, anybody home? I want to show Roger McQuinn how a fax machine works. It's just so bizarre, right? It's just so like, what? What are you talking about? Imagine an artist standing around, and I, you know, at that point, yeah, it was right, right around the traveling Wilburys, and we turned that into a. Uh, we faxed a hundred radio stations. Yeah, yeah. Faxed a hundred radio stations. Just hi, WBCN. This is Tom Petty. Oh, this yeah. is Charlie T. Wilbury. Yes. And uh, uh, I just want to say um, thanks for playing all our records and whatever. Yeah. And he didn't blink an eye. I'll fax him. And then, and then I would yeah. I would get calls from radio stations going, hey, we just got this uh, fax from Charlie T. Wilbury. Is it really <laughs> him? I said, just fax him back. He wants you yeah. to fax him back. And they did. Radio yeah. stations started faxing Tom back. And he was like a kid in a candy store, man. Yeah, that's so funny. Cool. So the other question I was going to touch on quickly, you talked about it was it was after, it was in the piece where you're talking about the interview at Cal State, you know, right. that whole that whole fiasco of trying to get there and, and get out and whatnot. But you mentioned something called the Memphis Mumbles. And I, was <laughs> I was wondering what that is because I don't know what that term means. Well, well, I mean, I think it's actually a disease it's called the Memphis Mumbles. I mean, like think Elvis, hum on baby, hum on baby, hum on baby. Okay, so just not articulating. Sort of kind of well, we just mumble, you can't understand it. <laughs> I think you can look it up in the Memphis mumbles and it will come up that it is a disease known to only people from Memphis. <laughs> tell my listeners where you're going to be coming up so they can check out your book signings. Um, tell them what the offer is on the website right now. Um, promote, promote, promote. <laughs> <laughs> well, on Wednesday, which is uh, two days from now, I'm not sure when this interview is going to gonna go out on Wednesday. Yeah, it'll be going out on yeah. Wednesday. So I'll be in Fresno, California, where my sister-in-law lives, and uh, we'll be watching the premiere of Wildflowers. But before that, I'm doing a book signing for a couple hours. And God, I love to do book signings. The Tom Petty fans just come up and they just, yeah. they just are so genuine and they're just so nice. And uh, I love I love doing book signings too, just because yeah. the fans are, like I said, you know, if you've been on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, these people are like, Nobody I've ever seen in my life. Passionate. On Tom Petty Nation. I mean, it's like silly. It's like the Rolling Stones. It's like... I don't think people love Jagger the same way they love Petty, though. You know what I mean? It not They love the music, but I don't think they love him the same way. The same way that he engendered that, the respect and the affection that he engendered from his fans. It's just, it's unique. It's just different. It's very unique. You're exactly right. Um well, and this is and, and this book, I'll, I'll I'll wrap it up by saying this maybe. This book, I think, is 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 a gift to the rest of us, to us fans, because it gives us an ins another insight into an artist and a human being that yeah. we all love yeah. through the lens of through the lens of another really authentic, really awesome, humble guy. Yeah, you can buy the book on my website, tompettyandme.com. And I uh, sign every book. And if anybody wants to personalize, there's a place for people to personalize it. And um and like I told you before, the one thing I love is when the kids go, sign this to my dad, Bill, who turned me on to Tom Petty when I was 11. Yeah. And it just shows what a multi generational thing that Tom Petty is. But uh, you can buy it on my website. You can buy it on Amazon. Um, you can buy it on Amazon Kindle. And I did an audio version of it, which is really hard to do, I'll tell you. Um, anyway, awesome, man. Okay. If you have anything else you want to know, if you missed, I don't know. Yeah, I know for how many hours now we've been 
a couple and a half yeah <laughs> no it's all good um yeah and i will i'm a i'm a big fan of your book um thank you so and i will keep promoting it on my on my podcast and on my social media um thank you so much for giving me so much of your time i i'm beyond appreciative um, uh, well anytime i feel a person like yourself who appreciates tom petty and i can tell you do well thank you yeah that's... it means that much more to me awesome man. and i really hope so the best of luck with um the rest of the book signings coming up and i'm hopeful that we see another john scott book somewhere down the line because i know you have a lot more stories to tell Okay, well, that's a wrap on a conversation that I will treasure for the rest of my life, folks. Um, I reached out to John fully expecting not to really get anywhere as my podcast is still growing and he's John Scott. Um, so to not only get to speak to John and get a response from him, but also to enjoy such a long and intimate conversation about his friend is beyond humbling and it was just so cool. Um, please make sure you head over to TomPettyandMe.com. Uh, pick up John's book if you don't have it already. Um, and if you do have the book, maybe go to his website and leave a review. Um, those are very useful for him. Um, you should also follow his social media channels because he regularly posts you know, other anecdotes and, and photos from his archive that you may not have seen or may not have heard. Um, and they're always well worth checking out. Um, don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Tom Petty Project or at Tom Petty Project on Twitter. Um, and please leave a review or a rating of the podcast if you haven't so far. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a share on your social media and help me spread the word. Um, until we meet again next week, keep listening to Tom Petty. Um, keep sharing his music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Um, stay safe and healthy. And I will be back with you next week to talk about the last track on the debut album, American Girl. Baba.